Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just in regards to what Bill shared, Kathy and I uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago were with a group of pastors in northern Michigan that we gather with uh, annually and have been doing so for, what, 15 or 20 years. And there, it's a multi-interdenominational uh, uh, pastor's retreat kind of thing, and uh, they get together in small groups. And it's just, it always impacts me because at the end of the week, they have, uh, it's funny because I've been there for other weeks, and other weeks are family camps uh, in the same camp. Uh, sometimes I used to go up for as long as a month and help serve and, and then stay as a camper for one of them. And each one of the camps has a different personality because they're made up of different people, and generally the same people come back year by year. And the family camps would end with, uh, you know, one of them has a big uh, um, uh, uh, ball, uh, dancing, what do they call that? What, uh, square dancing, square dancing. <clears throat> Hootenanny. <laughs> Scallywag, what was that word that, Diane, uh, that Kathy used? Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a square dance, or uh, another one has a, a sing song. They sing songs around a campfire, you know, and it's fun. And they roast marshmallows and they're singing songs. But the pastors camp, you know what they do? A church service, a really long church service. <laughs> I. It's good, and I, I don't make fun of them in front of them, but, well, <laughs> actually, actually, I do, but. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> I missed that. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, guys. <laughs> but uh, part of it is is actually very meaningful. They They share highlights of the week, things that happen per request, and they actually pray for one another. You know, I go to countless conferences and, and uh, events for ministry development, training, church strategy, and uh, there are very, 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 very few that actually involve prayer, where they pray for something. Eh, sure, everybody opens with prayer, closes with prayer. There's a, a perfunctory prayer, uh, but uh, <clears throat> there's only a couple where they actually stop and pray, and this is one of them because they, they have relationship and and many of the pastors will say this every year. They'll go, there's no place like this. There's nowhere else that I get the type of ministry I receive here because you all listen to me and care for me. And uh, it's true. Uh, most denominational, most network, uh, most churches are either independent and therefore have no connection whatsoever or part of a denomination that if they were to share their struggles and their difficulties, they, they likely would get fired. Like, I know people that were fired for just sharing difficulties that they've had. And so that can't, because it's not connected with any domination, they, they can do that. And I just want to tell you that it's hard for me because, like, that's not the only place I have that. I've always had a place where I can go with other pastors because we, over the years, have nurtured that in our in our network, uh, and Harvest Alliance is continuing that. We provide a place where pastors and leaders 
can be real with one another, that there can be genuine support, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's truly an alliance. And it's absolutely true. An individual needs to be part of a local church. You cannot do Christianity apart from other Christians. It, we're a body. We're meant to be connected. And churches are, are need to be connected, and leaders need to be connected. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you as a congregation and Pastor Bill and Marilee are supportive of me working to build that and offer that uh, to other pastors around the world. And uh, the church needs this. It's part of what God is doing in the world. And the world needs a healthy church. Amen? And a healthy church is, in order for a church to be healthy, they need healthy leadership. And so that's what I've committed the rest of my life to and, and much of my life already, to developing healthy leaders. <clears throat> uh, we're continuing, uh, and this kind of ties into our series, because we're looking at the outcome of, of individuals, leaders in Scripture. And last week I began looking at the life of Elijah, and Elijah's one of the most significant individuals in the whole of Scripture. And it's interesting that we know virtually nothing about him. He comes out of nowhere. We don't know anything about his, who, his parents or his family. All we know is Elijah, and he's from a town called Tishbite. Uh, and so he comes onto the scene at a very crucial time when the northern kingdom, Israel, had uh, uh, left their, uh, their place in pursuing and serving Jehovah, the one true God, and had gotten caught up in idolatry to the point where the king Ahab had actually made a political alliance with another nation through marriage and marrying a a woman called Jezebel, who was a priestess of uh, the worship of Baal uh, and uh, was one of the most wicked, uh, demonic uh, um, deities in that region. And Baal was the uh, god of rain and dew and as a direct confrontation with that demonic spirit, Elijah prophesied that there would be a drought until he prophesied otherwise, as a demonstration of God's power over this demonic entity, Baal. And so we looked at a few things. We looked at him learning the lesson of offense and getting to eat crow. <laughs> well, getting to eat raven food, sort of, yeah, processed raven food delivered to him supernaturally. How many want that? (laughs) Nobody raises their hands. All right, he learned the lesson of humility in that as a man of God that uh, known for working miracles, he had to humble and humiliate himself to, to ask food from a widow who was about to die. And uh, yet, in doing so, God provided miraculously provision for that widow as well as for Elijah and her son uh, for, for a long time. We're going to pick up and continue. So we, we talked about the lesson of offense and the lesson of humility. I just want to say and, and preface, if any of you come and have a counseling appointment with me, and I do, I do meet with people, I don't do ongoing uh, formal counseling, but I'm available to meet with you if you have a crisis or if you just want advice from an old guy. 
<laughs> just, just pretty smart. That, that, that's pretty. Yeah. Nobody calls me pretty. <laughs> uh, pastoral guidance. I always, I generally, not always, but I try to tell people that, um, you know, I'll just tell it the way I see it. Uh, and I, want, I usually ask for forgiveness in advance because I'll probably offend you. But my job is not to, to, to appease you. Uh, if you tell me something, I'm going to just tell you what I see and then encourage you to go to someone else to actually get help <laughs> through it. And there's a long reason why I do this, but um, <clears throat> uh, cutting to the quick as it is, as it were. And, and in my sermon, especially last week and this week, in the same way, I'm going to focus on aspects that I see in Scripture that often are overlooked. And, and to me, it actually, I just find it astounding that people can go their whole Christian life and completely misunderstand some of the most basic lessons of Scripture uh, and, and have this idea that following Christ or becoming a Christian is just some, you know, walk in a rose garden. And it's really, you know, a, a, a different garden that Jesus walked in, that, yeah, the Garden of Gethsemane, that uh, it's a total different thing. And so we see in the life of Elijah, we, when we consider the outcome of his life, we have to look at his life and the decisions and, and the actions that he made. You know, the whole Bible is simply a record of individuals encountering, uh, an, uh, encountering God in different ways. And in almost every situation, the ways they encounter God are inexplicable. They cannot be explained. You can't just understand what happened. You can't understand how the flour and the oil uh, multiplied so that the, the widow and their son and Elijah could eat it for maybe a year or two. We just don't know. We can't understand that. We can't understand. There's not like a way to reason it. Um, <clears throat> and any attempt to do so is futile. And that the Bible is a story of people interacting with God. Only a few very minor portions of the Bible is actually the explanation of theology or, or, or uh, 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 religious philosophy. Parts of that are in there, and those are very important parts. But all of it is meant to lead us to an encounter with a supernatural God that will cause you to experience things that leave you dumbfounded. To where you have to either trust or reject. You know? And uh, <clears throat> a lot of people want, want to see miracles, but miracles come with a cost. Let's just read this. In 1 Kings 17, uh, 17 through 24, hopefully you have a Bible. If not, there's this great app called the Bible app. <laughs> and there's plenty of them available. There's, there's Bibles available. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because... Uh, I wanted freedom to jump around. I'm going to read kind of a longer passion verse, uh, p- portion, verses 17 through 24 of 1 Kings 17. It says, Now it happened after these things. So th- these things are everything I talked about last week. If you, if you don't remember or if you weren't here, watch the video. It's on YouTube. Uh, after these things, that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. 
So she said to Elijah, what have you to do with? What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He said, oh, Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself on the child three times. And he cried. He cried out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And we don't know how long this took. But it it likely took a long time. Crying out, it's recorded in one short little sentence. But he was crying. He was wailing. He was interceding with God to restore. And he was doing it in front of the dead body of a boy. Okay, there is nothing pleasant about this story. Right? It's tragic. And this this is the lesson of suffering and the lesson of sorrow. Three times that many, he kept doing it. He continued to do it. And he he got up close. He actually laid on the boy, right? He stretched himself out on the dead child. Why did he do that? Was there anywhere else in Scripture where it said, to raise a dead child, stretch your body out on him? No, in fact, you know what? Never in the record of Scripture had someone been brought back to life. So Elijah was praying for something that had never happened. Did he know what would happen? Did he know how his prayer was going to be answered? He had no idea. The ravens that were feeding him stopped feeding him. The brook that was providing him water stopped providing him water. He goes and finds another source. He's eating miraculous food provided by God miraculously, and then the kid dies. See, we we read Scripture knowing what happens next, but the people that lived it didn't know. And they had to operate in a level of faith and obedience, and that's what the story's about. All right? This person facing something that had never been done, but being willing to cry out to God and ask for something. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. (laughs) And he says, see, your son lives. 
Don't you, wouldn't you give anything to, to get to see the recording of that? It's like, yeah, hey, okay, here he is. <laughs> or like, hey, well, check it out. We don't know. All right? And the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Listen, <clears throat> this is uh, the most extreme example of, of, of an experience of suffering that happened in Elijah and the widow's uh, life. But zoom out from that and recognize that the whole community was in the midst of a, an extended drought. All right? There was no water. How many people in that community died? How much suffering was going on in that community? They were living supernaturally by the provision of God in the midst of a society that was dying as a result of the consequences of the sin of that nation and the uh, the rebuke of the Lord by bringing a drought. All right? How would we respond in such a dire circumstance? Right? It, 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 sometimes it, it challenges me. We get, we get upset when we go to the grocery store and they don't have our favorite brand of yogurt. This particular one is because I have a particular brand I like. I go, there's 40, 40 different kinds of yogurt, but there's not the kind I want. Like, jeez. You know, there we go. The, the barista makes our latte a little too strong. We get upset. I've seen people freak out. Have you ever seen that? It's like, wow. But here they were living in a community where people were dropping dead because there was no food. There was no clean water. They were surrounded in the midst of suffering and the surrounding of sorrow. And then to make it even worse, uh, the child dies. Now, now, wrap your brain around this. What was the kid eating? Miracle provided food. All right? This is Ezekiel bread. It's Elijah bread, right? Have you ever heard of Ezekiel bread? Okay. This guy was eating Elijah bread. Supernaturally provided food during a time of drought, and he gets sick and dies. <clears throat> if this doesn't mess with your theology, nothing will. Okay? If this doesn't mess with your theology, you're not, you're not listening. All right? You can be right where God wants you to be, doing exactly what he's told you to do, and even seeing, or even living uh, as a result of a miracle, and still get sick and die. Well, the greatest prophet that ever lived is your roommate. You think Elijah may have prayed for that kid before he died? I'm sure he did. But the kid still died. How do you answer that? 
so many times people are sick. They go, well, you know, <clears throat> are, you, are, you taking, uh, are you taking magnesium? Are you taking vitamin D? No. Maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're eating too much red meat. Maybe you need to do this or do that. He was living on miraculously provided food and still got sick. And so you cannot always, now, yes, sickness can come as a result of malnutrition or bad uh, behavior, absolutely, but not always, right? This sickness came, we don't know why, right? And so you can be right in the midst of God's will and still encounter tragedy. In fact, I believe that you have to, that it is, so I believe that the purpose of life is to know God, all right? Full stop, that's it. It's not, it's not the, I mean, there's lots of other fringe benefits. But basically, if you don't get to know God in this life, then you're not going to endure the next life. Right? And Jesus is a man of suffering. He is acquainted with grief. All right? And so if you don't know suffering and you don't know grief, you don't know Jesus. And so that's why you have to come to the place and experience grief and not reject that and not think that that is necessarily a curse. <clears throat> it's, it's written through, and it's in every story of every hero in Scripture is a time of suffering, and a time of enduring injustice, a time of enduring sickness. David got sick. Daniel got sick. Everyone uh, uh, throughout Scripture, you see them struggling with the realities of life. It's how they respond in the midst of that that determines whether you learn the lesson or you avoid the lesson. Right? Elijah responded by praying life back into the boy. Right? And he didn't give up. Right? He didn't give up. He kept praying. And wow! He saw the reward of that. That boy's life came back. And he was able to present it to the, to the woman. But you know, there, there, was, there was still tragedy. There was still a, 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 a trauma that, that he had to endure. All right? Um, I, I know this. I've, I've endured traumas that even though you get through it, you still deal with the trauma of it. Often for years, in fact, for the rest of your life. I think a big part of the lesson here is that you cannot judge the faithfulness of God or your own success or failure by the difficulties of your circumstances or the trauma you endure, okay? Your circumstances does not equal the faithfulness of God or your faithfulness. It's a non sequitur, okay? Look at the life of Jesus, he was rejected by his closest followers. He was arrested, tried, and <clears throat> uh, crucified unjustly. He suffered injustice. He lost all things, and he was sinless. How much more should we expect difficulty in our lives? And so trauma, uh, 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 difficulty, sorrow, sickness, the death, of something or someone close to us 
is not directly related to the faithfulness of God or how much he loves you or your faithfulness. It's how you respond to that that shapes you. And God is shaping you into an eternal being to represent, represent his character and his nature in the midst of a society like Elijah was living that was filled with sorrow and suffering. Are you hearing me? All right. So when someone or something dies or something comes to an abrupt end, this, this happens all the time in our lives, a, a job, uh, you know, a career, a relationship, something that we think is going to last, is, that we think we're going to uh, find pleasure with forever, it, it breaks down and, it, and it, it ends. Or you get sick, you can't do what you used to be able to do, and, and, and then you're left with how are you going to respond to that? Do you persist in prayer like Elijah? Do you learn the, suf- the lesson of suffering and sorrow, or do you harden your heart? Right? And that's, that's the challenge. You don't want to harden your heart. Elijah didn't harden his heart. He kept pressing on. And this wasn't the first trauma that he experienced. This was many. This was well into the, the, his life of tra- traumatic experiences. We're going to skip over what is most often a uh, uh, used in Elijah's life, his challenge to the prophets of Baal, uh, where he kills 400 prophets. <clears throat> uh, uh, the, we're just going to skip that, because everybody else preaches that. And so uh, <clears throat> you can read that and listen to that sermon. It's pretty cool. But he leaves uh, the widow, and then it does have a, a powerful encounter, and he challenges the prophets of Baal. And, uh, of course, uh, Elijah wins but that meant he, 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 he killed all of the, those prophets. And, and then uh, he, well, I'll read it, verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Um, after Elijah had victoriously uh, uh, had fire from heaven come down and consume his sacrifice, and he victoriously was able to overcome the 400 prophets of Baal and literally cut them to pieces uh, and stand up to the demonic oppression in his community. Um, It says in chapter 19, verse 1 through 4, it says, Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw this, when Elijah saw this message, received the message, Elijah arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough, Lord! I'm done! I don't want this anymore. I'm sick and tired. Just let me die. I want to die. Take my life. I'm no better than anyone else. Wow. This was the greatest prophet that ever lived. This was the man, along with Moses, that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration to encourage Jesus right before he went to the cross. Yet when we look at his life, 
you see a man that is giving up. He wanted to die. How could, how could he go? This is what gets me. This is, this is actually the, the genesis. This is why I have this whole sermon. Is Because when I read this, I thought, how could he go from having such a victory over the 400 prophets of Baal and that incredible success, and just a, what, a few days later, be running for his life and wanting to die? What was going on in his brain? All right? Listen, you can have an incredible success. And you can see a miracle. He saw a water-soaked, drenched pile of wood in the dead carcass of an animal ignite supernaturally from heaven to display that God was the real God and, and Baal wasn't. And then God gave him the strength to kill 400 men. And now he's running for his life because one woman was mad at him. Well, I can understand that. (laughs) Actually, no, it just came to me. It just came to me. true though you know in our day we would say he was contemplating suicide because that's what he was doing he wanted to die and if he had a way to do it he probably would have all right he was severely depressed As powerful as he was, he wasn't immune to becoming overwhelmed. Serving God can and will and should cost you everything. And bring us to the point where you say, it's enough. I can't take this anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't take dealing with this this abusive boss, this manipulative corporation that I work for. I can't take with dealing with the financial stress of having to pay all these bills. I can't take dealing with my spouse who doesn't understand or keeps doing things that it seems so hurtful. I can't take it anymore. I can't can't take going to this church that keeps asking for more. I can't take whatever it is, fill in the blank. Maybe that's where God wants you to come to. the end of yourself. Because as long as you're relying on yourself, you're not relying on God. You don't need a Savior if you can handle it yourself. But there's an option there. All right? You can respond the way Elijah did, by crying out to God and confessing that, or you can harden your heart and become embittered. He hadn't failed. He'd just seen his greatest successes. But he was tired. He was weary. He was just spent. Many, many Christ followers, many Christian leaders, unfortunately, I see this at least once a year, at least one time a year, someone I know in ministry, either personally 
and at times it's been very close friends or associates that I've worked with hand in hand or people that I know through my connections. Sometimes very well-known ministers will, will make a moral failure. And in every single time, it has nothing to do with that moral issue. It has to do with they're committing what I call ministry suicide. They're tired. They're like Elijah. And you know what? If a minister has an affair with someone, that's ministry suicide. Because he knows he or she knows they're going to get caught. You can't hide that kind of stuff. And when they get caught, they're going to lose their job. I had someone that I'm, <clears throat> I'm actually still working with. He did exactly this. They couldn't take the pressure of, of leading a ministry any longer. And they had a, a relationship, a sexual relationship with a woman that they were not married to. And you know what the person said to me when I was talking to them? I asked them how they're doing, what do they, what, you know, what, what's going on? The person said, the thing I feel the most is relief. He was relieved. He didn't have to carry the burden of being the pastor, the leader, the spiritual person. He committed ministry suicide. All right? But you don't have to be a leader to do that. Right? Men and women, Christ followers, you are brought to the same point. Often, right? And often, the, like Elijah, when he said, I just, I just want to die. I want this to be over with. A Christ follower, a Christian will often just tune out. And I've seen it happen so many times. They just, they're just not present anymore. They may still come to church for a while, but eventually they'll, they'll just stop doing that. Uh, they tune out or they turn away. Offense, humiliation, suffering, the res- especially if it's the result of following Christ, but if it's just doing life, it comes to the place where it's like a, a, a switch flips, and all of a sudden they just don't give a, they don't care anymore. And they're not willing to, to, to push through. And that's a kind of death, right? It's a death to the <clears throat> wrongful perception that so many people have when they first become a Christian, that they think that becoming a Christ follower is a solution to their problems rather than the exposure of their deepest problems. If you think coming to Christ will solve all your problems, you're wrong. What it's going to do is reveal your real problems. Because God wants those to be healed. Because all of the other problems are a result of the deep issues in your heart. And walking with Christ, you find out is, oh my word, this is horrible. That's a part of it. It's not the whole part of it. It's not the whole story. But it's a very important part of following Christ that we learn from the life of Elijah. You know, 
faith that's just escapism from the world is not legitimate faith. Faith that empowers you to endure through suffering and sorrow is what Christ is meant to bring you to. I've lost my place. Consider the outcome of Elijah's response. He prayed, he honestly confessed, and he presented himself to God. And God hears his prayer. Here's the good part. 1 Kings chapter 19, 5 through 8. Uh, instead of letting him die, uh, God actually nourished him. Okay, so continuing on, chapter 19, verse 5. Uh, so he'd gotten to this broom tree, he'd confessed this to the Lord, and then he fell down asleep. He was so tired. It says, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Hey, buddy, get up. Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. So he arose, ate, and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God. So this time, in response to Elijah getting to the very end of himself, God sends another source of provision. The first time, he sent ravens. The second time, he, uh, Elijah was sent to a widow. But this time, God sends angels to provide cake. And so we have in Scripture the first example of angel food cake. I want to know, did it have strawberries and whipped cream? But there's a progression there. So if you're like me, I want to skip to the angel food cake. I don't want to have to deal with some widow and being humiliated by eating the food of a poor person. I don't want to deal with eating raven puke. But their progression is important. Whenever you have a progression in Scripture, it's one of the main ways the Bible works, is it teaches a lesson in the progression. And so you have to go through the the lesson of offense. You have to go through the lesson of humility. You have to go through the lesson of suffering in order to get to the lesson of receiving rest and endurance from the provision of God. All right? And, and, And the provision is not just to make you happy. It's to enable you to finish well. Because he had a long journey to go. A 40-day journey. 40 is a number of testing throughout Scripture. Rest is essential. Rest is important. Okay? I like the analogy. In, you know, I fly in airplanes often, and they always say, you know, in case of an emergency, oxygen mask will uh, fall from the ceiling. I can recite this because I've heard it a thousand times. Be sure to put that around your head and make sure the strap is tight. If you're sitting with a child, ensure your mask is on before helping the child. And so you have to get your mask on or else you'll pass out and you'll both die. Okay? And so self-care is important. Uh, eating and sleeping. He just Basics of life. 
And God provided that supernaturally. Uh And Elijah had come to the place where he needed supernatural provision to finish well. And God doesn't send us supernatural provision. And and I just want to challenge you. Sometimes we, we pray and pray and pray for something, but it's for our own comfort. I think James talks about that, doesn't he? You know, where God was providing to Elijah so that he could finish well. His job wasn't done. He had to continue. He had to anoint Elijah, his successor, who would have twice his anointing. And he would anoint the next king over Israel, who would be a man after God's uh, heart that, that would actually follow uh, the Lord uh, better than Ahab. And so he had things to do before he was done, and he needed that nourishment. And our prayers need to be in alignment. Consider the outcome of Elijah by seeking God for the things that, that, that enable you to accomplish his will in your life, and not just for the extra level of comfort and security that you may want to feel safe and sound. Does that make sense? All right. Now, God wants you to have an abundant life. Jesus came that you may have life and have life more abundantly. But he also said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And that word is crushing into powder. All right? You will be crushed. All right? And you cannot separate that from the promises of God. So the lessons to learn are the lessons of offense. Have you, have you faced and overcome and persevered even though you've had to endure offense and offenses? Have you not allowed offense to keep you from pursuing the things of God? Have you learned the lesson of humility? Are you willing to, 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 to do what you would not do in the natural out of obedience to the word of the Lord, to humble yourself, to, to, to lower yourself, to esteem others better than yourself on a, on a regular daily basis? Have you learned the lesson of suffering and sorrow? Are you willing to embrace, actually get face-to-face with death in your life and not give up praying, not harden your heart, not run away, but keep praying until you see life? Have you learned the lesson of rest and receiving because you've endured provision from heaven to enable you to finish well have you continued the course how you respond to these lessons in life will determine more about you than your career than your education how much money you have in the bank who you marry all that stuff is periphery it doesn't matter who you are where you live these are universal lessons that you must learn in order to be successful Jesus endured all these things without sin. And it's Christ in us that gives us the ability to endure all these things and remain faithful. Are you hearing me? It's Christ in us. What do you turn to? You have to turn to Him. You have to accept Him as Lord and Savior. You have to surrender your your life to him, and allow him to live in you. And it's when you do that, you find the source of resurrection life to endure whatever this life throws at you and remain faithful, remain constant. 
That's the lesson that we learn, that I've learned from studying the life of Elijah, considering the outcome of his life, and I hope that you have too. Bill, would you come and close? Thank you. Would you stand and join me? It's good to um, let a challenging word soak in a little bit. You know what I mean? (laughs) No one's like, yeah, let's talk about sufferings this week. I want to apply that to my life, right? It's kind of like praying for patience, Um, but it's important. I want to just read you a verse here from um, Romans chapter 8. Remember that verse about, you know, being adopted and crying, Abba, Father, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, such good promises. The next line is, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There's amazing promises. And Elijah got to end well. Chariots of fire is a pretty good way to go, I would assume. Kind of (laughs) cool. No one else did that one. Uh, but it was through suffering and not giving up, you know, and it's, it's uh, interesting. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's worth it. In another place, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? Okay. Yeah, there's some amens. That's good. To know the power of his resurrection. Amen and participation in his sufferings. Amen. (laughs) Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Father God, would you teach us, us Americans who often have a very comfortable life, who have a lot of options, who have the option to turn away from being without, to turn away from suffering and to live comfortably. Would you teach us, um, bring us to the, to the end where we say, I can't do this anymore. Where we have the choice to submit to it, to surrender to it, to die like you died, Jesus, and be resurrected to the life you call us to, or to walk away. Lord, I pray you'd give each person here eyes to see that moment for what it is, not to blindly walk away from you, but to know the choice before them. Those who are willing, who say, yes, God, I pray that the door to resurrection would open wide, that they'd see your eyes, your hand reaching to pull them up. Just as you raised your son from the dead, you will raise us from that moment that feels like death when we lay ourselves down fully and completely. Ultimately, you'll resurrect these bodies if we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be blinded by comfort, by culture, by long to-do lists, by work, by all the things. See this reality so that we can live your reality for us. Thank you, God, for this word this morning that calls us to a greater life in you, calls us to obedience calls us into your presence. Amen.